This podcast is about anything and everything that gets us better at making things good and good at making things better. It's called extreme stewardship because the first thing to say about getting better at making things good and good at making things better is that both we ourselves and whatever we're working on don't belong to us. We are stewards of what is God's, not owners of what is ours. And in a world that prioritizes getting as the ultimate good and self as the ultimate end, that's pretty extreme. This is episode 9, where I say things that are supposed to be convicting. Convicting to you, convicting to me. What's the opposite of work? It's not rest. Rest is the complement to work. It's the good and necessary other side of the same coin. The opposite of work is laziness. Rest is stepping aside from improving creation to enjoy that creation. Laziness is ignoring creation, maybe even destroying creation. Laziness might also be half-heartedness or apathy toward creation. And laziness is a sin. Laziness is a sin because it is doing the opposite of what God designed us to do. It's also a sin because several biblical texts specifically prohibit it. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That's Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10. Colossians 3 verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your being as working for the Lord, not for people. And laziness is a sin because it aligns our efforts with all that is opposed to God. It promotes chaos, ugliness, boredom, meaninglessness, disintegration, and ultimately death. The Bible also has a lot to say about the practical consequences of laziness. Proverbs is all over this one. For example, here's Proverbs 14, verse 23. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Quick pause here. Proverbs does not, in general, make absolute statements. It is not suggesting that there are no circumstances in which hard work fails to bring a profit. It is suggesting that this is the way the world generally works. Living in alignment with the way the world generally works is what we call wisdom. So Proverbs is saying, look, this is how life is most of the time. Doing hard work leads to profit. Talking about work but not actually doing any leads to poverty. Is there any question that this is how life goes the vast majority of the time? Here's another one. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. That's Proverbs 26, verse 15. This one reminds me of Jocko Willink's avatar, Uncle Jake, in his books on the way of the warrior kid. Uncle Jake is talking to his nephew, Mark, about what keeps him on the path of hard work, and Mark asks him how he stays motivated all the time. Uncle Jake responds, Motivated? I don't worry about motivation, because motivation comes and goes. It's just a feeling. You might feel motivated to do something, and you might not. The thing that keeps you on course and on the warrior path isn't motivation. It's discipline. If I only do my work when I am motivated to do so, when I feel like doing it, it's not going to get done. Proverbs 22, verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. The lazy person imagines barriers. Oh, I really struggle with this. Just in case something might go wrong if I move, I stay put. 
I honestly find it much easier to imagine failure than to imagine success, and that imagination cripples my work. And according to Proverbs, playing the but-what-if game is just another form of laziness. Proverbs 20, verse 4, Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. I see two things in this text. The first is that plowing comes before harvesting. Plowing yields no immediate profit. It's the work that comes before you even sow your seed. It's prep work, and if you don't do it, you're not even going to be able to do the work of harvesting because there won't be anything to harvest. The second thing I see here is that there is a particular season where it makes sense to plow and a particular season where it makes sense to harvest. Or to put it in the negative, the lazy person ignores the natural flow of our work. The lazy person ignores the way God set things up. Temperature, length of day, moisture, soil type, all these things and more dictate when and how it makes sense to do certain agricultural tasks. And it's not just agricultural tasks, it's all tasks. And I think, well, here are four factors to consider in figuring out how to go about our work. Situation, task, physiology, and personality. First factor, situation. By situation, I mean life overall. Are you single? Are you married? Do you have kids? What sort of external obligations do you have, like employment, that sort of thing? For example, as a teacher, my busiest times of year are the early fall and the late spring. The last thing I should do is jump on an additional major project that has a deadline during those seasons. As a parent, one of my major considerations is whether a task ought to be done with or without my kids. Sometimes it's obvious. I don't mow the lawn with a baby crawling around my feet. Other times, it's not at all obvious. We've all experienced, or at least witnessed, the trauma of a mom who brings five kids to the grocery store. Maybe that was simply necessary. The baby needs formula, it's the middle of the day, dad's at work, come on kids, we're going to the store. Maybe it was intentional. Maybe mom wants to train her kids how to behave in public, how to do the work of grocery shopping, how to budget, meal plan, prioritize healthy food. So she's doing this to herself on purpose because she takes her responsibility to train her children seriously. Maybe there was an obviously simpler way of handling the situation, but she's so tired from, you know, being the mom of five kids that she didn't see that other option. Now, there's a side note here about the absurdity of standing by and judging that mom while one or more of her children is losing their minds because we don't know what's happening over there and it's not our place to decide for that other person what they should or should not be doing in that situation. My main point, though, is that what really matters is intentionality. Make decisions like when to go grocery shopping and how many kids to bring along or whether or not to take on a side project at a certain time of year Make those decisions on purpose. I need to be intentional about factoring in my life situation as I go about my work. The second factor, task. By task, I just mean the job itself. What kind of space does it require? Is it contingent on weather? Is it the kind of task that is doable in small increments, or do I need larger chunks of time? Sounds really simple, but we waste incredible amounts of time by not considering these things in advance. I'm a teacher, 
So this is the sort of conversation I have with my students on a regular basis. Oh, I spent hours on this assignment and couldn't get it done, is often code for, I sat on the couch next to my roommate who was on the PlayStation 4 and did the assigned reading through a PDF on my phone while texting eight different people. A little awareness of our work environment in relation to the kind of work we are doing goes a long way. When I read books or I hear speakers who have attained a significant level of success in their fields, without exception, they know exactly what kind of work conditions are ideal for accomplishing their specific task. Third factor, physiology. By physiology, I mean that God has designed the human mind and human body to function in certain ways under certain circumstances. Oh, I do my best work when I wait till the last minute and stay up all night on pizza and energy drinks. No, you don't. You do your best work when you get plenty of rest, exercise, and nutrition and get things done as far in advance as the circumstances allow. Now, lots of us ignore this when we're younger and eventually succumb to it when we get older, but the payoff here is that the sooner we get on board with it, the sooner we start working with the grain of how God designed us the better a worker we're going to be. By the way, if you like going deep on this sort of thing, check out Andrew Huberman. He's a Stanford University neuroscientist with a podcast about a million different ways that neuroscience shows us how to live more in keeping with how we're put together in the first place. Fourth factor, personality. By personality, I mean the way each one of us individually is wired. What actually works best for you? Best, in this case, means most conducive to individual thriving in the work that God has for us. Now here's an interesting thing you've probably noticed. Those of us who have particular struggles with various kinds of work are most likely to think deeply and clearly about what works best for them. This is why students who struggle in a certain area often become the best teachers in that area. Because nothing came easy for them. Because they had to think concretely about each incremental step along the way. A student of mine some years ago had severe dyslexia, and that struggle forced her to think very carefully about things that most of us ignore, things like lighting and font and the quality of the PDF and reading off the screen versus reading printed material. She's like the diabetic who has to watch their sugar intake very carefully. The fact is, all of us should be watching our sugar intake very carefully, and all of us should be considering what work conditions are ideal for us as unique individuals. Once again, situation, task, physiology, personality. Four things we have to take into consideration in order to properly arrange our work. And don't forget the point of this episode. The Bible calls refusal to work with the grain in these ways laziness, and laziness is a sin. Proverbs focuses on the real-life consequences of laziness. If you're lazy, here's how your life is probably going to turn out. Paul, on the other hand, turns the wisdom of Proverbs into an ethical norm for participation in the church. Here's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 5-10. through 10. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. You yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we don't have the right to such help, 
but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. You might notice there's an important caveat in Paul's connection between working and eating. It doesn't say that if someone doesn't work, they don't eat. It says if they are unwilling to work, they don't eat. That's critical. People get injured. They get sick. They get old. They experience life in a variety of ways that make them unable to improve creation as we might typically expect. So there are situations, for example, in which people are not economically self-sustaining and yet we legitimately expect someone else to fill in the gap so that person can eat. I would also point out that if work is not limited to earning an income or making a contribution to society, but rather expanded to mean improving creation by making it more productive, more orderly, more beautiful, more virtuous, and more fun, we might begin to notice that certain people are actually working, even if no one is paying them for it. A newborn baby, by their very existence, brings beauty and fun into the world. My first child was instrumental in causing me to become more productive simply because he took every last bit of margin that I had, and therefore the consequences of laziness were magnified beyond anything I had previously experienced. That counts. Someone who is mentally or physically handicapped, to the point that they will never be able to get a job, is still capable of bringing joy and productivity into the world. That counts too. So on the one hand, we need to expand our vision of what counts as work, and on the other hand, we need to recognize a critical distinction between being unable to work and being unwilling to work. The other necessary distinction here is between meaning and value. The Bible is clear and backed up by human experience. Work supplies meaning. But that is not the same as saying that work supplies value. In Genesis 9, God says that humanity is given the responsibility to hold each other accountable. Those who take human life will lose their own lives because God made us in his image. To steal another person's life is to deprive them of the opportunity to act out what it means for them to have been made in God's image. You can't work if you're dead. But that does not imply that a person who doesn't or can't work might as well be dead. It doesn't imply that taking their life has no consequences. The Bible is too full of commands to look out especially for those who are helpless, especially for those who can't make the sort of contribution to society and creation that work typically involves, the orphan, the widow, the elderly, the stranger, and so on. If not working meant no value, it would make no sense to lean so hard into protecting those people. So a person who is unable or unwilling to work is not less valuable in God's eyes or in ours. I do not dehumanize them or treat them as worthless. Down that road are euthanasia, abortion, eugenics, and all sorts of evil that the Bible condemns without hesitation. We must have a distinction between meaning and value to recognize that a life without work is a life without meaning, without fulfillment, and yet also that value comes from being an image bearer, whether or not a person is living out their potential as an image bearer. So don't be lazy. Laziness is idolatry. Laziness is revolt against our creatureliness. Laziness is living against the grain of our nature. Being lazy or encouraging laziness in others is living life as the opposite of how God intended it.
Thanks for listening to the Extreme Stewardship Podcast. My name is Michael Kibbe, and I teach Bible and theology at Great Northern University in Spokane, Washington. My behind-the-scenes partner in this project is my brother, Ben Kibbe. Our editor-in-chief is Annalee Stockton. Art comes from Leah Leenhouts, and of course, music is provided by Dave Murray of Derridoon Guitars. If this series has been helpful or challenging to you, or if you've got a story about extreme stewardship that you'd be willing to share, shoot us an email, extremestewards at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You are, of course, welcome to like and subscribe and tell your friends and all that. What we really care about is that you have gotten better at making things good and good at making things better.